And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnell. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Saturday. I'm Dave DeFore, and it's Nerder She Wrote. We moved to Saturday because obviously we ran Slam and Jam a little early this week, which I was also on, and I won trivia. I am here with my man Mo DeKeel. Mo, I, I really can't believe I won trivia over Keith Parrish, of all people. That's impressive, but more importantly, it's better we've learned having you as the contestant and not as the host of trivia. Uh, we've we've yeah. learned that this year, so uh, thankfully they had you as a contestant. Well, listen, man, you know, when I deal with really smart people like I do all the time, I, would, I just wanted to challenge you guys. No, um, don't defend it. Don't defend it. You, <laughs> we didn't need the explanation. It was so good. Um, so Seth is out this week. He's actually in Barcelona. Uh, so we, yeah, so we made put, put up the bat signal. We, uh, you know, had a couple nibbles and finally we were able to land a big fish from the ringer, the dime drop, the dime dropper, Mr. Kyle, man, what's up, Kyle? What's going on? How's it? Uh, how's it uh, shaking fellas? It's good to see you both. Rocket. You know, I always tell people, when I'm out, they'll be like, "Oh, you a Blue Jays fan?" I'm like, "No, I'm just a, I'm a bald guy. I just and I literally wear a lot of hats." Uh, I, I, just, I was only like, was trying around. to figure out if you were Canadian. No, <laughs> I don't seem Canadian with that do I? voice. Absolutely. With that voice, <laughs> no way. Was oh, he from Alberta? Accent. I have no oh, wow, idea. Wow, we just al- automatically alienated a huge Raptors contingency there. There you so go. That's on you, Dave. Uh, you deal with those. All right, guys. Um, let's uh, let's jump right in. It's the playoffs. Uh, obviously, everything is kind of. <laughs> Uh, chaotic right now. We're recording this Friday morning, so we don't know the results from the the two game sixes between the Bucks and Celtics and the Warriors and uh, Grizzlies. So we can't really talk about a potential game seven because we don't even know if there's going to be one. Um, but I do want to start like we do every week with our favorite things. And guys, uh, we just saw the Miami Heat close out their series against the Sixers. And we're going to talk Sixers because that situation is Interesting. Um, But I want to focus on Miami with my favorite thing because they just have this knack to keep finding guys. Max Struess somehow just off the scrap heap came out of nowhere. They're probably going to guarantee his contract. It's a very similar story to the Duncan Robinson story. Only I think Struess, better player, not the shooter that Duncan Robinson is, but certainly a better defender, can do stuff off the dribble. And he was fantastic in this game six, guys. Gabe Vincent, another guy that they sort of just reclaimed. Um, the Miami Heat 
might have the best development coaching staff in the league. It's pretty incredible. I think that's not even a question. They do the best job of leveraging the G League team. They're right there with Toronto in terms of finding and developing talent. And I think that's the the important thing. It's just such a long run of this, you know, since the LeBron years and things like that. It looked like they really decided we have to invest in this and continuing to find guys. It's, you know, it's Precious Achua, who's doing well in Toronto, started through the Miami system. Like there's there's a run of this and, you know, I, I don't even think you mentioned Omar Year Seven, who was who was really good for them throughout the regular season when Bam was hurt. I think you know they just have that understanding and 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 the way they put things together and the way they work these guys is really what's impressive. It's you know that's more the Heat culture to me than the whole fun stuff that they talk about, right? Like that's Heat culture to me. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And, and Kyle, you do all this draft stuff, so you probably see these guys coming in a way that the rest of us don't, but it does certainly seem like Miami is maximizing every single guy that comes through there. Yeah. Maximizing by way of, you know, the the league, people talk a lot about how it's become homogenized. Like we start looking for these archetypes in the draft and we're like, well, if you don't fit this archetype uh, between ages, uh, you know, 18 and 21, we just act like we're done with you. And I was out at like the G league showcase with sharks this past December And I was noticing on social media that, you know, people have this kind of jokey attitude about guys that are there. They're just like these, you know, these guys, they don't have a chance, but it's kind of like a big thing in the league is kind of, I'm not a gambler, but I hear, I got really choked up. It's very very emotional. It's very emotional when you talk about G League guys. I understand it. No, he said, I'm not a gambler and he was very sad about it. (laughs) No, just can't gamble. No, um, you talk about like finding the edge. Like, and these, these are teams that are finding value where other teams aren't. And, you know, and you see teams draft. um, I I always kind of think about, you know, the, the teams, the years where the drafts are sort of like up in the air and people are like, well, it's kind of a bad draft. We don't know. I just feel like the smart teams are just rubbing their hands together. They're just like, we're going to just house you guys right now because the Heat are one of those teams that continues to find people. Like Yurt Simmons was kind of on the radar, uh, you know, coming out of coming into college. Like he was a guy that obviously had some skills, but then he kind of fell away. But Miami's a, t- a team that can kind of circle in there and be like, yeah, there is value here. And we're going to we're going to snag you and put you in a situation to succeed because we see something like Duncan Robinson. Uh, they basically just had to, like, urge him to be confident like and they did. And it really paid off. And, and uh, this that's is the very- problem now. But that's the problem now, too, is he's <laughs> not confident anymore. He doesn't shoot the shots. He misses his two shots. He's done. <laughs> He yeah. needs to do whatever Maxi has done uh, for the playoffs. Whatever Maxi Kleba did. I don't know if he he went plant based. I don't know if he started doing yoga in the last two months. I don't know what it is, but we got to get Duncan Robinson on on that plan. Mo, you know, it what they do is very Spursy to me because they're constantly drafting at the end of the first round, at the end of the second round. They're having to you know buy second round picks when they can. They're picking up two way guys. They're signing undrafted guys and and running them through the rigors. And this is sort of, this is why they've been able to sustain success for so long. I mean, uh, what is it? I think they're five and oh now in conference finals. This is their sixth conference final since Spolster took over, right? Like that sort of sustained success over the last decade, super spursy. Yeah. I mean, just it's, it's what they do. You know, it's everybody has, every organization kind of has how they sort of build a team. And this is an important aspect to it. And very much like what the Spurs have done. Like, think about it this way. Danny Green came up through the Spurs system. 
Like that's really where Danny Green became Danny Green. Um, and it was on his second stint. They cut him the first time he was there. You know, he had to come back and work his way through it. And they leveraged a lot of the G League stuff early on. Nobody gives a lot of credit to it, but, you know, the Lakers actually do a good job using their G League team. That's where we found the Alex Caruso's. That's where, you know, now it's Austin Reeves and stuff like that. Like, they've done a decent job with that stuff. Um, when you look at what Miami's done is they've just taken that as the blueprint and then knowing that, hey, very similar to the Lakers, actually, we're a destination we're going to get guys as well, you know, and, and now this is the way to kind of grow. It's almost like planting. It's growing role players, you know, cause they haven't had a lot of success in the past finding the role players out in free agency. Let's sign the stars and develop and grow our own role players. And that's kind of what they've done. And I think, you know, at a certain point they'll, they'll stay with these guys and they haven't had a lot of draft picks for a while. So they know we got to make sure we nail these developments. And, and I think that's the important thing for what they got going forward. And that's kind of how they build. And you got to give credit, not just to Spo, not just to the development staff, but to Riley and his front office staff, finding guys, finding undrafted guys. It's all of that stuff. And this is how they've maintained a star culture as well. Like, I mean, you know, being able to pay max contracts, Okay, great. And Miami is a place where players want to go. But man, they're able to continue to build winners because of how they win on the margins. They they have established, Kyle, to lead into your favorite thing, a winning culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing where the money part of it, I think, is important, kind of like Mo was alluding to there, that, you know, if you're able to maximize the value of, of certain of the lower parts, the middle to lower part of your roster, um, you're going to be able to spend more money on those higher, you know, those higher tier guys that you want to come in. And I, and when you were talking about that, I, I thought it was interesting that um, I guess I had thought about it this way that they are the rare overlap of a destination market and a team that is doing it really well. And um, in terms of like just total end to end organizational stability, um, I, you know, I came from a life of, <laughs> I always tell people, I mean, I got into this industry in, in my thirties, so I had a whole other life of just working different jobs. So I just saw how things worked, what workplaces were fun to work at, which ones weren't fun to work at and people would get unhappy. And kind of the thing that I've noticed over time is that culture really trickles down. Like it really does. So if the people at the top have like, you know, lockstep, like they are together, they believe each other, they trust each other, like the way Riles does with with uh, with Spolstra and the ownership and things like that. People aren't afraid for their jobs, so they're not making like you know hail mary decisions and 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 putting a lot on the line and things that are going to hurt the short term interests of the team. I think, but the my favorite thing to to your point, Dave, is just I'm really happy to see strong organizations and cultures succeed in the playoffs. We saw it last year too. I just think it's good for the league because I think we had a time there where we were like, are we just going to have this like de facto premier league? Uh, you know how they were trying was it premier league that was yeah, trying to branch super off? League. And have, yeah. yeah. And that's deflating and discouraging for some of these fan bases that kind of want to be in the hunt. And I've just enjoyed watching Milwaukee, this team that like obviously has a lot of resilience. We're going to talk about teams, I think, in a little bit when we talk about the Sixers teams that don't have resilience and don't have that kind of trust in each other. But the culture definitely trickles down. And you see like James Jones has done an incredible job. I know that uh, Ryan, uh, what's his name, that, that did some of the drafting. For oh, the Ryan Suns. McDonough. Yeah. Little, yeah. Yeah. Deserves some credit for that, too. But um, I like that. I've, I've just enjoyed seeing well put together teams, Boston, same kind of thing, uh, play well in the playoffs and play good basketball, honestly. Well, I it's think, the built not bought playoffs, right, Mo? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, it's very simply that that's a great way of putting it, Dave. I hadn't even really thought about that, but what Kyle's talking built, not bought. That's good. What, what, what Kyle's talking about, he, he should write slogans. That should be Dave's side job. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, please he, let know, me slo- write all the slogans, all the slogan that, writing. That You're loving it. It could be a t-shirt built like a Phoenix t-shirt built. Not <laughs> I can see that. But the important thing is the, uh, what, what Kyle is talking about is organization alignment. And that's the key. And that's something we talk about a thousand times on here, right? Like everybody on your, especially in decision makers, all have to be in line with what the goal is, how we're going about it and things like that. When you have somebody that's a little bit outside of it, then you start to have issues. And I think that's when you, uh, we're going to keep it in Miami, but when you have everybody in line, all the way down to Jimmy, who loves the, the way the organization is, is run, even when there's going to be a fight on the sidelines and things like that. They're fine with that, you know, and that's kind of just what they do. Boston, very solid organization alignment early, very early. Let's see what happens in year two and three. But it's a new organization with Stevens taking the helm and Yudoka on the sidelines. Let's see how that kind of develops over time. But you see it in Phoenix, uh, Dallas, new or, new organization, new front office. Give them credit for for you know, just kind of sticking with everything and, and, and rolling through it. And you got the same thing with, with Golden State, who's been in line from, you know, from jump since Kerr got there. Right. And they've all been kind of perfectly aligned with everything that they have. So, you know, it's organization alignment is really kind of the most important thing of establishing that, that winning culture. And I should mention uh, Milwaukee as well, before all the, uh, the people in, uh, what, what was it? The deer, uh, What's the the area? The deer district. Park. The deer district. Yeah, district deer before they start trying to riot, house. going like, "How could you? How could you? I got plenty what? of deer here. I don't need none of y'all to come." Um, but that's an important aspect. They're all aligned for the most part. And well, and I would, I do want to talk about Milwaukee because again, I mean, they drafted Giannis, developed him. Remember, I mean, people made fun of the pick, right? When he was drafted, people were like, "Who is this guy?" They drafted Chris Middleton. Right, they drafted Chris Middleton, didn't they, or did they trade for Chris Middleton? I don't no, know. no, no, they, I don't know. They, the Middleton he was in Detroit and was yeah. in the G League That's it. for a that while. That was it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that was it. He had a, but they've had him. Pass. They've had him for a long time. Yeah. That was it. Um, he's, and, and then way, they, oh, sorry, sorry. He's a success story. The G League needs to be putting out there way more often because I totally forgot he was in the G League for a run. He, he needs. Yeah. He needs to be something the G League props up more often in terms of look. Look what you can become, you know, and I think that's an uh, important thing. Sorry, Dave, I didn't mean yeah, to. No, 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 no. I, I appreciate the correction there because I totally forgot, just like you said, because he's just so good. You just forget that he came through through that way. And then even the Drew Holiday trade, right? Like, I mean, this is kind of what we want when you're building a team. They brought a guy in who complimented their guys. It wasn't, all right, we're going to do this whole, we're going to put you guys on a bus and we're going to go on a recruiting tour uh, up in, you know, like, I mean, the, the whole KD thing with getting Tom Brady in, like, I'm, I'm really glad that we're kind of post free agency almost, if that makes, I'm mean, now we're in pre-agency and guys are going to be asking for yeah. trades and stuff, but I, I, I am loving some of these built, not bought teams. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it's totally over. I mean, it could just like come oh, back not. with a vengeance. It's yeah. always going to be. It's always going to be a factor if these guys want to team up. Totally. I, I think the the Brooklyn thing not playing out and not panning out has been kind of big, honestly. Because uh, I, th- I think when that didn't happen, um, we we didn't see KD and I mean, well, they were like a literally like an inch away from being in the finals last year, conference finals, I guess. Um, but 
yeah, I, will, I, I don't think it's over, but it, I've been really heartened by it. I, I've enjoyed enjoyed watching these teams. The, the 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 Brooklyn thing has shown exactly why you have to have organizational alignment, and you can't just hand the decisions over to the players for the most yeah. part, right? And you can't just be like everything needs to be catered to these guys, you know. And 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 this is uh. The, the 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 thing that's going to change, I think, from or, an organizational standpoint, right? And you even saw Sean Marks kind of push back a little bit now with, with his press conference. Now, some of that might be, you know, had a conversation with KD, kind of almost cleared the conversation and then was able to, to make those comments and stuff like that. So we'll see really what it is when the actions come to point. But look at the teams that have turned their organizations over to somebody else. The, the, the Knicks are basically CAA extended. You know, with with Leon Rose, with uh, World Wide West, and 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 Tibbs was the coach, and we all knew Tibbs was going to be the coach the second Leon Rose got the job, and things like that. And and now we have to see what's going to happen because year two didn't pan out. The Lakers outsourcing their their stuff to to clutch, and now trying to bring it back. With by the way, just when you think that's your 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 uh, your your um, brain trust is, you know. Phil Jackson, who was a failed front office person and hasn't coached a game in, in God knows how long. When you're uh, uh, part of your brain trust is Kurt Rambis, who's never had success on his own, but only written the coattails of others to win championships and be Ooh. part of championship teams. You, when you have Rob Polinka, who's really not done that much, you know, and, and 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 honestly, what he's done the last two years, I'll give him credit for the finals, but what he's done... And being really handsome in general, I mean, he, he, he looks good. <laughs> yeah, but looks I'm like really handsome love. as well. Yeah. I'm really handsome as well, but that ain't going to make a difference. I can't necessarily win us... I was just thinking that. I can't win I us a championship. Um, but, like, I think the, the ultimate thing is, like, when that's your brain trust and you refuse to go outside the Laker organization, you're going to reach out to Magic Johnson and things like that. You're heading for disaster as an organization and you're not willing to think and start going like, what were the problems of the past and how do we fix it? I mean, screw it, man. Make Rambis the coach. But I think that's kind of the the, the organization. <laughs> please just, do that. Just go ahead. Please you know, like this is what you, you're, 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 we're, we're slowly heading for. It's like the the Jeopardy producer who who interviewed everybody and then made himself the, the host. <laughs> the organization alignment, though, and building the winning culture, that starts from the very top from your ownership in, in the most part you can win with a bad owner but can you build a dynasty off of that i don't think so and i think that's what we're we're learning um over the past couple of years well you have no corporate knowledge if everyone is new working there right like if nobody knows how to do anything right you never work together and then in particular for brooklyn the last couple seasons have been very weird you know, they had a year without KD. They've had the pandemic year, the bubble. Things have been weird for them anyway. But they didn't have the culture to withstand it because none of those guys worked together before. Whereas when we're looking now at these teams who have come out of, I mean, look, man, for the Bucks, look at how much basketball they've been playing, man. Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton were in the Olympics last year after winning the title. These guys continue to just plug away. The Phoenix Suns, same way. I mean, yeah, their bubble run wasn't that long, but they were in the bubble. And that's that's a whole thing. And then uh, run into the finals last year in that condensed season, and they're still going. I mean, I, those are culture key, uh, like keystones to me. The, the teams that are that are continuing to go can go for a reason. The internal strife doesn't get them sidetracked. 
Yeah, I think the playing together is huge. I mean, the reps together, the familiarity, especially on defense. I know that like you just to play defense long into a shot clock to give the effort that it takes much less trust and trust the other people that they're going to be where they're supposed to be. Uh, and then, and you can see it in the teams that just wilt once the ball starts to move late into the clock. Like a lot of teams can, can defend like the first action kind of thing. I know that's kind of going another direction, but I, I think that's important, but taking it back to Miami, you just can't, you have to have a mixture of we, we need to, you can't have too much like short term decision mindedness. Sometimes you can do that. LeBron, LeBron was good enough to make a couple moves here and there in the short term and, and do it. But you could see Miami, you could see the two philosophies sort of great against each other in that moment where in like 2014, LeBron was like tapping his watch. Like we got to do this, this, and this. And Rouse was just like, wait a second, buddy. Like if you just give it, give us a second, you know? And, and I think that kind of speaks to, and the other, the, the, the organizational kind of solidarity throughout. But uh, the, uh, the other thing that I was going to say was, um, the best companies, taking it back, the best cultures I ever worked in were like obsessively, habitually um, minded in a way of like, they never were saying this is how we've always done it. They were always, always, always trying to source outside thinking. And yeah, go ahead. No, you're you're 100% right in the sense of the, the worst answer to a question is, well, that's the way we've always done it. Like exactly. That's, that's when, when somebody asks you something like, why do you do that? Well, that's the way we've always done it. There's no real logic behind it anymore. Like the logic might have been sound back then. You have to change. The The one thing about the Nets, and this is my l- last point, is just they built a culture before KD and Kyrie got there. And then they threw it away to get Kyrie and KD. And now they're paying for it. And now it's been uh, three years since then. Right. And now, like, it's, it's, I made the joke back then. It's the, the nerdy dude who all of a sudden the, the, the pretty girl in high school starts batting her eyes at him and stuff. And he dumps all his friends, ditches the glasses, starts slicking his hair back, you know, dressing differently now. And, you know, now he's with the girl, but he's a complete jerk, you know, and that's kind of what the Nets sort of became. They got to get back to getting their culture and building their, 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 their team out of that. And that's the difference between Brooklyn and Miami is Miami never sacrificed their culture, you know, in, in that process. And I think that's kind of the, 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 what the nets have to try to get to. All right. Well, we're going to talk about a team that uh, we think has less than good team culture after this break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, guys, we all just watched the Sixers get sent home. Needless to say, not their best showing in an elimination game. I'm not sure what's going on with James Harden. Uh, Joel Embiid at least fights 
any any just big right off the top of your head takeaways, Mo, that that you might have about the Sixers? I mean, this is a tough year. Like, I think when you look at just when you look when a team gets eliminated, I try to zoom out and just look at everything. Right. The regular season and what led us to this point. It's a crazy season for them when you, you kind of consider how it started with the whole Ben Simmons saga all the way to the trade deadline. Then you make this huge acquisition with uh, bringing in James Harden. And, you know, it looks good for like a week or two. And then it slowly starts to kind of tumble off a little bit. You get in the playoffs, you have a good run in the the first three games of the playoffs. You know, you, you almost blow a series in that sense, you know, and, and then Embiid gets hurt. You know, we can we can argue the you know the whole should he have been out there or not thing, and then you know you're you're going into the next series down a man for part of the series and and for the really the whole series because he was never right after that, and I feel like when you watch what the Sixers done, it's hard to evaluate them because it's like that group needs a whole season together, and they need more pieces, right? They traded three guys for one. You know, granted one of those guys wasn't playing, so we could even call it a two for one trade if you want. But they traded two valuable pieces for one, and it, and they never replaced the other one. And I think that's kind of been their their issue. And I feel like they were just in a challenging spot. And it, even after the trade, like I just was like, this team's not contending. This team wasn't good enough to me to contend at that point. And I feel like that's the uh, the the challenge that they have, and that's just what they came up against in the in the regular season in the the playoffs. Kyle, big takeaway. Uh, big takeaway. Um, I mean, Harden is is the big question. I think that Embiid. I kind of just have been getting the feeling lately that Embiid's <laughs> Embiid's like prime is just kind of on the path, to just being like this sad story. Uh, honestly, in in com- contrast with uh, in contrast with the way his career started, just this incredible story of this guy who didn't touch a ball at sixteen, and then he becomes he obviously had all these physical tools to do that. Um, I'm I'm just sad for him. I mean, we were talking about some of the things he said. He's maybe gotten a little bit of a raw deal in terms of uh, post game quotes. He, he he's a guy. He's a lot like Anthony Edwards. Um, and, and Anthony Edwards early on when he would talk, I would just be like, if you take him 100, you want to judge his whole character on every sentence. You're going to be going up and down a lot. And it's like Embiid is an emotional guy, but he cares. I think that he obviously felt pressured to play. Um, based on his reputation, based on, you know, trying to, they're not like Miami. They don't have the end to end sort of like uh, cohesiveness of scouting and approach and scheme. And Miami's just. Miami had a much better some, coach, man. Like, I mean, they do. you know, yeah. he didn't get, Embiid wasn't getting much help from a strategic standpoint, right? I, yeah. I, I want to push on that a little bit too, though. I don't know, would, would Embiid out there at, what was he? You think like 50, 60 percent? I don't know how yeah, much yeah, this maybe. is strategically right. we can really start. And, you know, Dave, of all the people I know, I'll go and, uh, you know, but like, I don't know how much we can blame strategically this sure. this series on Doc in in that in that instance. Um, yeah, there are things he could have done better and all of that stuff. But like, I don't know. I still well, think that he we're going to beat them like uh, they just um, even if Embiid was healthy. Know, I, See, I'm just not sure. I just, you're not sure. I, I think, yeah, I think that's a talent thing that's that could. I, I, the James Harden part of this, I think, is just so glaring. I was watching the replay of last night's game. I was like, if you get, do you think if you gave Sixers fans the option, you can have Tyler Hero or you can have James Harden? What do you think that they would say? Uh, if you could ask them if they could have Ben Simmons, 
what would they say? Well, I mean, that's my question. I mean, the, the, the honest thing is like when you look at James Harden, it's just you have to just it's funny when they traded for him. It was like, OK, we're ready to contend. Scary hours, all of this bullshit. Right. And now you watch him now and it's like, OK. And even the stuff everybody's talking about him now, it's yeah, he's a playmaker now. He's not a scorer. Well, if he's just a playmaker, you have a problem. Cause that's not, yeah. that's not your, that's not what James, when you're going to, when James Harden is at his best, he's a scorer and a playmaker. He's a playmaking is a responsive skill set. You have to, you can, you can be the best passer in the world, but if you're not doing anything else, nothing's going to happen because they don't respect you. So they're going to stay home. And, then, yeah. and, and if and he can't turn the corner, right? Like if he can't turn the corner and get to the basket, which he hasn't been able to do, you're, he's useless, right? I mean, I want to say useless, but it's a problem, right? It's a concern. If he's your then, primary guy, he's he's not suited for the job when he can't get to the basket. Yeah, I mean, well, you, he's not your primary guy. Like, really, what your primary guy is, get the ball to Embiid and then create off of that and live off of that. And that's why, like, I never thought it was a great fit because I still think Embiid should get seven to eight post touches and you need a guy that's going to be able to move off of that. And we know James isn't going to. And, you know, that's not changing folks like that's not something we might see a play where he does that but he's not going to do that consistently with all of those things but it 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 comes down to just a lot of problems there with Embiid down I think Embiid healthy I think it's a close series it's probably a toss-up to me I don't know either way who I picked the Miami to win it before I knew the uh injuries but like even then I was like all right that one might come back to bite me because it's going to be really close um they got a lot of questions they got to answer as an organization right now. Obviously, the Harden stuff, what happens, opt in, extend him. I mean, he's eligible for $277 million. I think there's no way in hell anybody would give it to him. But if somebody would, it's going to be Daryl Morey, who went out of his way to trade for this guy twice, right? Went Tried to trade for him before the start of last season and then finally traded for him this season. Um or when not before the start of last season, but you guys, but yeah, yeah, but was in the running for that. And and so it's, it's, it's that attachment to him. So if anybody's going to give it to like, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent confident. I'd say, yeah, it's definitely not going to get it. Daryl might just be like, no, it was just a bad few months. He'll be fine. You know, it's, 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 it's a scary proposition. And then if it's not that, how much do you give him all of that stuff with that? But there's more to it for the Sixers. They got to figure out what the hell they're going to do with Tobias Harris because that's uh, 36 million and then 39 million the year after. Even if you do try to trade him, I don't imagine that's coming. That's you're you're sending him out and getting a lot back in a way that you're going to feel confident. You're going to have to probably send more draft equity out with that. And you've already sent two picks to Brooklyn. You got to find a way to replace Seth Curry. And obviously, I that's that's a big loss and it showed itself during this season. You got to find a way to make Matisse Thibel matter in, in, on, on the offensive end, or you got to find a way to replace him. Like they have legitimate questions and then you have to find a backup. But I have one question for you guys and it pertains to Matisse. I woke up to a tweet from Tim Pippen. Do you think there's still a place in today's NBA for these defense only guys? I'm looking at Thibel and it reminds me of Andre Roberson. Unless you're Draymond where he makes up for a lack of O with his playmaking ability. I think obviously they have some value, but does the value outweigh the known commodity of spacing on an NBA court? What's is there a place for a guy that's just defense only? Kyle, you want to you want to take it first? 
I think if you have heavily conditional guys, you have to just balance it because the NBA is sort of a net result game. You know, what you give, what you get, what you, what you give, what you give up kind of a thing. If you put him in a, I'd, you'd have to put him in some kind of a lineup where there's a lot of ball skills and they can figure something out. Or, he, I mean, he is obviously going to have to continue developing. He was terrified to shoot the ball in this series, like multiple times. Like he would have total leverage on the floor. Miami was just like, we know you're not going to shoot and we don't give a shit. So they were just backing off of him. That, that would be my answer. I think it's a little bit harder when it's a wing like that, because, you know, if you have a big finisher that can't shoot the ball, you can kind of find ways to work them into your offense with like rim pressure. He's not really giving you that either. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm, here's something, uh, Ben Taylor, our buddy, and I were talking about this, talking about it in relation to like McHale, I'm kind of falling out of love with guys who are just lanky for lanky's sake, like disruptors. We've seen in the playoffs, there's a weird cyclical thing going on where we were just like, the league's got to be long. It's got to be fast. It's got to be laterally covering, covering a lot of ground. Well, guess what, man? Really strong guys matter a lot. We've seen it in the Milwaukee series. I mean, Boston, man, the secret to their success, the Clippers, every, like these guys, it's about strength and, you know, strength on the wing, man. I, I, yeah, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and shocking. I'm going to push back on something. Ben Taylor, um, there, um, (laughs) no, the, uh, uh, ultimate thing is, though, it's it's both right like when you talk about boston it's not just their strength it's their length right like right jalen brown's long and annoying as all hell in that it's just it shows different Giannis is a freak we can't look at it and go like you need to have strength because you got to go up against Giannis. nobody has strength against that that's, that's <laughs> yeah. why he's the freak like you can't really right. talk about it that way in that sense um i think it's it, it's an element of of both but dave i also want your answer on on this question because i got i have my opinion on this well, all right. So we com- have compared Caruso and, and Tybal a lot, mostly just because of role. Like they were both like 20, 24 minute a game guys, good defenders. The, the difference is that Caruso is such a good connector on the offensive end that his limitations there, you can you can hide him. Like he relocates, he makes passes. I mean, he will take shots. He he attacks the basket. And he's never, I, I mean, he may turn into a plus offensive player, but as long as you can tread water, and make plays for other people, which I think Caruso does a great job of, then you can be out there. Tybal, like, I mean, it's it's the it's almost like James Harden on the defensive end. It's you it's, just hope the ball doesn't find him. Yeah, and and it's my thing with it is one to answer the 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 question yeah, from yeah, Tim, yeah. and and I know it wasn't a mailbag, but I was like, oh, this might actually be fun. That's to a good do question, though. Um, I you've always needed to have another skill besides just defense. Bruce Bowen would not be Bruce Bowen for the San Antonio Spurs if he could not hit the corner three, right? Like if that was, if he couldn't shoot, he wasn't going to make it in the league. Like that's just that simple. Like you can't just be, it's it's not just about, oh, we need spacing. So now all of this stuff that might've worked back in the day, but really since like the two thousands, the early aughts, you know, you needed to have a second skill on top of that. Right. And that goes across the board on Every position, whatever it is, you got to have more than one. We just had a conversation about Harden. If he can't, you know, he's a playmaker and a scorer. If he can't be the scorer, can you survive with just him being a playmaker, right? Like, you need to have something second with that. Andre Roberson, as bad as he was as a shooter, he was a great cutter. He did a great job cutting and and, and getting in the lane and being in the dunker spot and things like that. What's interesting with Thibel is since the trade, and I would love to see stats and, and and maybe one day I'll have to go explore it and, and things like that. 
I feel like his cutting has gone down. I feel like overall, just any anything, he's just decided to be a space guy when it's you can't shoot, homie. You can't be that dude. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, <laughs> d- d- does the Harden and Bead here the, sort yeah. of negate his growth as a cutter? Because movement Where doesn't really cut? happen with Harden. Well, yeah. that's and and yeah. you can always cut. I'm sorry. I don't believe in that. Like, you know, as the screen's happening, like you can really disrupt the defense with a well-timed cut. Now it takes discipline and you got to learn and study and when to do it and how and and things like that. And those other guys got to understand what you're doing. Um, And granted, they didn't have enough time to build that chemistry up as a, as a squad. Um, But I think what you're looking at is with, with Thibel in particular, like he's got to find one skill he can do offensively that can hurt teams. Tony Allen, great cutter. You know, and and yeah, listen, the 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 Warriors basically nuked him when they just said, "Screw it, we're just going to put Andre uh, Andrew Bogut on him," and that's the end of it, right? And 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 dealt mm-hmm. with that. And I think that's the stuff. But you need to find something, and that's the important thing for these defensive-minded guys. Because look at Bridges. That's that's the prototype, you know. And and he actually makes the argument for Ben Taylor because Luca's kicking his ass <laughs> with strength. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that but, thing, I was gonna say I'm not trying to like negate lanky defenders to zero. No, that's what you I'm did. just saying I think I think we're t- <laughs> we've underrated strong guys. Basically, I think we just got in this mindset of like it's a skinny league. It's everybody needs to be Jaden McDaniels, and there's still a place for for a strong dude for sure. I mean, that's the secret to Kawhi Leonard's success, right? Like he came in and he was so well developed physically, and I, I think it allowed him, you know, a little bit of a leg up because I, I mean, he's also. His first step is pretty quick or was pretty quick, but it was never, um, you know, something that you, it wasn't the first thing you were going to write about him if you were talking about Kawhi. And I think the strength always stood out to me. And, and you know, one of the things about RJ Barrett that I've liked, uh, Jonathan Kuminga. So I'm with you on the strength thing. Um, you know, I, I do yeah. think that that's part of it. But with Tybalt, he just doesn't have anything else in, like no other skill set that you can point to and say, oh, yeah, 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 he's decent at that. And, and I think that to to Mo's point, and I guess to the point of the question, I don't know what you do there, Mo. No, it's um, it's, it's 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 I I just I I, I kind of push back a little bit on the question in the sense of like it, like this is a new thing, you know, like this is something that's probably been around the past twenty years. You got to be able to do you got to be able to do something on the offensive end, and Bruce Bowen's kind of the great example of that. And I think that's that's really my my pushback. But yes, he has to he has to develop some sort of offensive game where he could just be a threat for just like, it's not even like, yo, he can get 20 off of this. Can you get six points off of this? Like that's two, the, the deal. Two things. One, one thing, Mo, a great piece of merch for you would be a shirt that says, I kind of push back a little bit. That would be a great shirt, t-shirt for you. I get pushed back a lot. So t- it's a, <laughs> the yeah, back. I, 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 you should take that to summer league. I think people would love that and have your face on there or your, your court. That would be good. Uh, but then also, um, I would just like really quickly, just as a thought exercise on like a scheme, like a roster build, where's a place that you could imagine Thibel, if, if you could just pick him up with the claw machine and drop him on another roster, what's, what would be an example of a better fit for him? Is there a team that we think that like a cutting team, like the Warriors? I, 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 I mean, no, I, I mean, mean, the I, Warriors. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, but, he would do, he would do well with the Warriors. I mean, look what they did with Gary Payton in the second, but he's also developed a little bit more scoring oomph on that, but he's a great example of that. I think he'd be, to be honest, I think he'd be really good in Phoenix, you know, with the cutting and stuff like that and, and, and playing off the dunker spot off, 
uh, John DeRayton's pick and roll and things like that. I feel like they can they can do a little bit more with 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 that. But also, he's got to be a better cutter. It's got to be the thing though. Like that's really what we got to see out of that. So before we can really just say like where are we going to put him, he's got to improve in that in, in yeah. that aspect. Yeah. But we got. Uh, I well, took us off the topic there for a second. Well, no, it's okay. I, I wanted I wanted to ask you guys uh, what went right for the Sixers this year, right? Like, I mean, because there were successes. I mean, I think Embiid's season obviously stands out. I mean, he was he was awesome. Tyrese Maxey, I mean, that's a huge one. Like, that's the future, right? That was a huge value pick for them, which I think he was underdrafted, like very obviously, because he was misused in college. Uh, well, I don't have a UK hat on, but yeah, that's, that's one big thing. We established. Well, I, I, actually, I think Max. I, I, I was pretty early on Maxi, because yeah. um, I happened to see him in person, and I just watched him shoot, and I was like, "Oh, this guy is gonna be a shooter. He's gonna shoot." And then they got him with the twenty-first pick. And I thought he's just stupid. Well, for me, I I actually saw the fit with him Embiid, and Simmons with him as sort of that, that thing that they had been missing. And, you know, if they, the trade doesn't happen and all of a sudden you're getting this maxi. Now this is a fantasy land that we don't live in anymore, but I just thought, man, this, this guy is going to be the perfect complement to these two guys. He can play transition. He can shoot the deep three. He can do all these things to create space on the court for Simmons and for Embiid. He moves off the ball. I, I think Mac. I mean, Maxi is a he's a real player. I love I love Tyrese Max. I love that you're here to talk about Tyrese Maxi because I know how much you love those Kentucky guys. Not all of them. I'll I'll say that I won't name names. I don't I don't just blanket love them all. I'm actually kind of infamous for that within the Kentucky fan base. I'm a little bit of a grump, but I know uh, I know you guys can identify with being grumps sometimes. Yeah, well, sure. You know. but, um, no, <laughs> Mo. Was there anything else aside from Tyrese Maxey that kind of stands out to you? Is like this is a this is something we can build on for next season. Well, I, I, you can't build on it for next season, but before they traded well, him, true. Seth Curry was great. Uh, for it was a great piece for them, you know. Like I really would have loved to have seen the 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 team they had go up against Miami. I think that would have been something I would wanted to see more of. But you know, like as bad as Harris's contract is, he was good for them this season. Like you know, and 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 he was very productive for them. They have listen. They have the heart. They have the the nucleus. Now you got to build here from there. And I think you know. It's going to be funny. Like Doc's going to get a lot of blame, and and some of it fair, some of it unfair. But I think the 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 ultimate thing is they just got to build now. You shattered your roster, and it, and the thing that's unfair to Doc is they had a way to play before the trade, and then they had to find a new way to play since then. And that's what the in season trades are so damn hard on coaches in in, in terms of that with that, of this this large of a blockbuster. It really does change things up there. So I you know. They had, they a lot went right. They finished fourth in the East and things like that. They were rolling, you know. And they and the, to their credit, they showed the resiliency of during the whole Ben Simmons thing. They still were balling, and I, I you know it never felt like that was a massive problem or a distraction. And I think that's something that you know you can at least kind of use almost as propaganda within the team of like we're resilient. We can handle these things. We've had adversity, um, but beyond that, I think it's just. It's, I think this is going to be a very different team next year because you got to find the pieces that work and will maximize Embiid and Harden because you're obviously sticking with Harden for a while. Well, we're going to talk Suns Mavericks game seven right after a short break. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Okay, guys, so on Sunday... We have a game seven between the Mavs and the Suns. And I don't know if I'm disappointed in Phoenix or if I'm excited about the Mavericks. Uh, where do you guys kind of land on this, on the emotional scale? I, I, I'm excited. I, I can't wait. This is, this is, oh, yeah. Look, we're, we're getting Devin Booker and Luka Doncic going head to head in a game seven. And and Booker just had a terrible game six. Like, you know, he's roaring to get going for game seven. He's going to have two days to think about this. Uh, I, I am I am very excited for this game seven because I think we've had six games. They've all been blowouts. <laughs> they haven't been close. And I think like game seven is going to be finally a close game. And it's going to be in the biggest moment where one of these teams is going home. Yeah, a lot of ass whoopings lately. Weird. We had a weird run of, of just hard. Uh, maybe teams bailing and just saying like this is out of control. We're gonna like get ready for the next game. Um, I'm I'm excited for both. Yeah, I hate to do that. I hate to like punt on picking one. I mean, I'm. It's been fun to. I've enjoyed watching Luca's arc. His like his his trajectory as a superstar. We all expect him. And honestly, I've always kind of had a little bit of like. I, I started doing this when Luca was a rookie, so I've kind of my time my like time covering the NBA has followed his. So that's been fun to watch. 
But then like the Booker, the Booker CP3 Luca thing, it's just they're perfect for each other. They're made for each other. This is this is too this is an immovable object uh, meeting an unstoppable force kind of a thing, the the Joker line. These these two these two things really go together. Um and, and I I'm gonna be curious to see if he can like summon like a, an, an epic kind of game seven performance. Uh I'm I'm excited to see whether that's gonna happen. Uh, I want to talk Dallas defense. I, I think that they've done a really great job uh, of bothering the Suns. I mean, the last game, 22 turnovers for Phoenix. And I mean, Mo, like this is like a hallmark of Phoenix's team. They protect and value the basketball. It is shocking what we're watching with Phoenix in terms of just the turnovers. And it's Chris Paul, you know, obviously like he, he had, I think if I remember correctly, 25 turnovers, 25 assists and 18 turnovers over the, over the past four games. Not, not the series, the past four games, 18 turnovers. And that's something you don't expect from Chris Paul ever. And I think that's kind of one of those things that you're really kind of caught off guard with. Some of that is Dallas's defense. And Dallas does a great job of just pressuring you, right? Sending a double. The, the one thing I love about Dallas's defense, more important thing is, you get a switch, they send the second man immediately. They don't wait. They don't let you fuck around with the switch. They don't let you kind of mess with the guy for the most part. The second man is coming, and that forces the ball out of his hands, and now other guys got to go create and make things happen. And as great as Bridges has been at that, still still a little bit of a struggle. Cam Johnson, not quite there yet. Cameron Payne, completely out of the lineup because he's been terrible. You know, Landry Shamit, one of the reasons why he didn't go higher in the draft is because he's not a ball handler. Like, this, these are the, the, and this is why he gets bounced around. Like, these are the turnovers that are beginning to happen. Crowder, same thing. Like, these are guys you don't want to have to try to fully make decisions and make those plays. And I think that's where Dallas is capitalizing on. And I think it's been really impressive with what they've done defensively and forcing them in these turnovers. And it's, you know, some of it is just bad passing and panicked and, 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 and the pressure is building on these guys. It's, it's fascinating to watch. Hey, Chris yeah, Paul took like seven you, shots in the game. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, what, what in the hell is Dallas doing to Chris Paul, man? Really keeping him off of his elbow that he likes so much. That's a big thing. I mean, you you watch Chris Paul play, and it's just inexplicable how he's able to snake to that elbow over and over and over. And I think they've done a really good job. But speaking of what Mo is talking about, like if you can, if you have a team that's built around these, like this kind of like dual like guard offense, like these, if you can move the decision making down, if you can filter, and this is what Toronto is pretty good at, is like putting guys in position to make decisions that aren't used to making decisions and we're in and, and we're put and we're putting these guys who the developmental kind of pain points for some of when it's when it's humming and working together as like a cohesive thing phoenix looks unbelievable but dallas has done a really good job of like putting mikhail this is like something his next leap that he needs to make is mikhail going to be an off the bounce decision maker as a passer as a, like a self-creator same thing for ayton same thing for cam johnson is kind of a like run straight lines shoot threes you know that kind of a thing I, I, and but I, th- I think like the ball security, even with like Chris Paul, has been like surprising. And I think they've had some some success with with Frankie out there pestering him a little bit too. I thought Frankie had a pretty good game uh, this past one. Uh, he was fan. I thought Frank Nilakino was awesome guarding Devin Booker. His defense was Locked amazing. His pull up one time. Yeah. His defense was phenomenal. I don't. I, I mean, it's 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 not an understatement. And I wasn't expecting that, you know. And 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 it fully caught me off guard 
with that. Like he's just been, it was really, really impressive. Well, I, this is something that is, it's on my list of things for us to talk about, but I think we've got to give a lot of credit to Jason Kidd. He is coaching his ass off in this series. And, and to, honestly, I think he's out coaching Monty Williams a little bit, you know, to the degree that you can. I mean, obviously you can only control so much, but I think he's just put his guys in a better position to succeed when they've struggled. He has turned it around for them faster. I, I will, I will push back a lot yeah, on that. Push back yeah. on that. <laughs> See, this is going to end up being like a sitcom where the crowd, so the studio crowd cheers when you say it. No, I love the this line. bit. The, 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 the reason why is, yo, they beat the crap out of them in three games also. Like, it's not like my, it's, 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 it's hard to say a coach outcoached another coach when it's going to a seven game series and it's a three, three series right like and it's all been blowouts right they've blown him out three times the other that's, side has blown him out fair. three times. i just think his counter his counters have been stronger let's say i it's it's part of it is and this is maybe the curse of being so good in the regular season from from phoenix was they didn't have to develop any plan b plan a always worked right and dave we talk about this all the time like versatility what you do on offense everything like that plan a always works they're 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 methodical they're mechanical they're they're precise there were possessions last night i'm watching where they're just throwing up prayers and searching for answers and this is like in the third quarter right like they're trying to get back in this game and things like that they got away from that and that's part of that issue of all right well this all worked, and now we're we're in a situation where it isn't. And Game Seven is going to be a very very interesting one in in terms of just who who blinks first because there's going to be a, a a decision that's going to be need to made down the stretch. Do you guys feel like Dallas has been the tougher team in this series? A little bit more forceful. Dave's Dave's trying to TV up to go to, to, to do it. And, 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 and the forceful word was the key. It's, okay. Let's hear it's, it. It's my DeAndre Ayton stuff, right? Like, listen, DeAndre uh-huh. Ayton's having great numbers this series. He's putting up, I think, I, I don't know his numbers, but he's scoring about like 15 points. 21 and 11 in the last game. 21 and 11, right? And all of that stuff. And the honest truth is he doesn't play with enough force. And what I mean by that is, he often gets the ball on a roll and look, the finesse game's really nice and it's good. And it's, and it's, and he's got great touch and he shows it to us every time. But there are times when you come off that roll, you got to dunk on somebody. He had a post up on Luca and I, I believe he, he turned the ball over, but he needed to just power Luca into the rim and put him in the rim. And there are plays where he has those, the, the, the roll down the rim where he, uh, he also gave Luca a nice little elbow. That was force. And that's like, I know he can do it. And that adds another level for Phoenix, right? A little bit more of just like, I'm bigger than you and I'm just going to use my strength. It goes back to what you were saying, Kyle. Like, I'm just strong. And he's not using it at all. And they're going to play in small ball lineups and he's not really taking advantage of it. I did think that coming out of halftime in game five, right? There was an uptick uh, an uptick for him in I'm not even going to say effort because he's not a low effort player, but it's a it's kind of a low force, low power uh, sort of thing. And and I do think that coming out of into the third quarter of game five, there was a marked difference for him. And I, I wonder if he's a guy just has to be reminded, you know, hey, look, man, you got to go and do this. You got to get yours because, you know, they have such a great system, Kyle. And I think it's very easy to get lost in that system, especially 
because everything comes easy to him in that system. It's it's handed to him on a silver platter. Yeah, there's some uh, we were talking about this pre-show, but there's the questions about his aggressiveness, um, him attacking, him creating for himself. These are questions that have gone back when he was a teenager. And these were worries about him that like he's he's a nice dude. Like he just has a kind of a, 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 a like a mild temper temperament. Like as, as a person, you listen to him talk and you listen to him play. He's he's not like a he's not like an asshole. Like DeAndre Ayton is not like a, like I'm an asshole. I'm good. Deal with it. He's just not that type of dude. I think Chris Paul coming in has been really good for him because it's forced him to kind of not disappear and tell, and the, the things that he's doing consistently now, like finishing on these like switches in the pick and roll and things like that. He's doing those things more consistently. This past game though, he was not efficient as a role man. I thought Dallas did a good job annoying him. It was only like point six two five uh points for possession when he was rolling which is low for him but um overall i i think that we're just seeing whenever if chris it's a kind of a it's a this then that dynamic if this doesn't happen then it's going to be harder for deandre to do his job and i phoenix didn't take good care of the ball so you saw you saw deandre kind of have a little lost in the in the in the woods game um all right but before we before we wrap i i do want to talk specifically about luca in a game seven. Okay. Oh, it's going to be fun. This dude, man, I look, just go look at his Wikipedia page. If you haven't, and just go look at the games. This guy has already played this, this what he's done at his age is unprecedented. Historically. I mean, this is a Euro league MVP. We're finally going to get to see this guy. And I say, finally in his fourth season <laughs> in a game seven, where he's the best player in the series. I think hands down, he's been the best player in the series. Oh, yeah. And what sort of expectations do you guys have? And Mo, I'll start with you. But what do you expect to see out of Luka in game seven? Dave, we're going to just see him be super aggressive. Like, this is his moment, right? Like, legends, NBA legends are built in game sevens more than anything else, right? Like, these are the ones that where you're going to remember this. If Luka drops a 50-point game and leads the team to a win if it's 50 point triple double or something like that we're going to be talking about this for freaking years and I think that's going to be the the thing and he took on the number one seed and and beat them in game seven in their place you know and had a monster performance like this is you know it's going to be it's it's exactly what the 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 halftime crew of all these shows always talk about right we need the stars to be this is the game to be the star and build on that legend of you know Luka Doncic and this is this is the this is the true NBA starting point for him on building on that legend is this game on Sunday it's going to carry a huge he has the most to gain out of anybody on on the court in my opinion for this and this is it's not that different it's going to sound crazy and I know people will probably get nuts here but it's not that different Are you getting than, ready to say Michael Jordan are you getting ready to use the MJ name No 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 no, no 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 <laughs> okay But it's not that different when you look at the parallels of LeBron taking a team in his fourth year in the NBA to the finals and it was not a very good team a lot of who what like other guys in there named you know Booby Gibson what like that's a name um, you know, and you're 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 confused and, and things like that. But you're looking at this. This is Luca's chance to be like that, and this is his moment. This is his game in Detroit. You, you know, whatever twenty million points in a row type of deal there. And I I think this is that moment for Luca. Like I'm expecting him to come out 
with the fierceness. It's going to be on Kid to get him to slow down, though. I was going to ask you all about this because this has been a near uh, one th- first thing on that. Well, I think, Mo, you're absolutely right. I think like as much as we like to talk about and it's important, like the minutia of the how of how these games play out. We're like, you know, X's and O's, this move, that move counter. How's this go? The thing that we intrinsically love is is the narrative. Like we love the hero's journey. It's why like people are obsessed with like my player and 2K and stuff like that. It's just like. And that's what ramped up the NBA was the marketing side of this. We were just like, man, this story of Michael Jordan, how he had all these falls and and, and rises and all this stuff. We love all that stuff. But I, what I was going to ask you on a basketball level, you talk about like pulling him back a little bit. I think that that's something that's kind of hurt them at times in this series is over pursuit of like matchup play. I feel like it's pulled them out. Like I felt like in game five, like Brunson pulled them out of their offense, I think, trying to go at CP3 and, and like, draw fouls and things like that. Like, And then this game, they came back out and didn't really do that. Like, Luca was getting off the ball better. I don't know. What do you Have you all noticed that? Am well, I crazy? I mean, and, and with Phoenix, right, they're so great at walling off the paint. Like, they, they kept them out of the paint in game five in a way that they couldn't do in game six. And that's a lot of, I would say, it's a lot of the energy from Luca Because when Luca has his legs under him, he gets two feet in the paint, and so does Jalen Brunson because Luca's out there. And, and when that doesn't happen, th- then they don't get three-point shots up. And, and what we saw in game six, I mean, what did they hit? 18 threes last night? I mean, it, it, this is – and they hit 20 – or excuse me, 16 last night. They hit 20 in game four, right? That's the key to success for them is Luca's energy level has to stay consistent, which really means, to Mo's point – Early on, Jason Kidd is going to have to rein him in because they're going to need him in the third and the fourth quarter. I mean, Phoenix was the best third quarter team in the league. We we know they don't blow leads in the fourth. I, I think that Mo is definitely onto something. You got to get him to pace himself because he needs to be able to not only play offense, but they're going to go at him on the other end and try to wear him down too. He's got to be able to hold up defensively. The the. The, the important thing, like I actually wrote about this, like that offense that they run where they get Luca off ball, especially in the first half of games and and let him work off ball and things like that, that opens up their whole offense and, and, and it saves the legs and things like that. The important thing of what you're talking about, though, in terms of matchup hunting and kind of overdoing it, you can do it when you do it out of your offense. It's, it's shocking to watch the Mavs beat the Suns on Spain pick and roll. They've been beating them with Spain pick and roll for the most part. And what's been happening is Aiton's getting switched on Doncic, right? And that's where then Luka gets to kind of take him out. And then he gets to attack, right? They, they run the Spain pick and roll, doesn't work out. Aiton's switched on to Luka, he backs out, and then he goes to work from there. You know, it's, it's those types of stuff that they got to kind of, that's how they got to get to those matchup situations. You know, when CP's on Brunson. You know, you, you you run an action and then get to it. The one that, When it's literally just dribble down the court, you come set the screen, you know, I'm picking my matchup now. Like, that's fine at the very end of games, but throughout the course of the game, you got to find that matchup through your actions. And I think that's the important thing that you got to watch for when you're watching Game 7 on Sunday. I think when they get the switch with, with Luka on Aiton, Aiton's just sitting on the, the step back. And he knows it's coming, right? Like, so I would like to see Luca do a little bit, maybe take a page out of Spencer Dinwiddie's book and try to actually put Aiton, get him to defend you, drive him to the hoop, try to try to draw in the defense. He's had some success with that. He actually actually set him up. He hit him with a step back in the first half. Mm -hmm. And then in the second half, 
Aiton sitting on that. And that's when Luca hit him with the in-between the legs crossover. Aiton ended up goaltending it, but that's, you know, Luca's right. going at him at that point. It's, it's that kind of stuff. And it's funny. It's, it's the big question is like, can Luca hit these step backs on the road? Cause that's really what's, cause he's, he relies on it too much for me, yeah. for my personal taste. But like, it's, it's a shot that he goes to a lot and he needs to be able to hit two of those or, or at least one of those on eight and to get eight and to think about it, to open up that drive. Yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts from you guys, uh, as we wrap up? I'm excited. I can't wait. We at least got, we at least know we have one game seven. The listeners at this point know if we have more, hopefully we have two more and we have, you know, uh, a Sunday. Of Chaotic just game Sunday. Seven. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go. Listen, man, when they're not yeah. doing reviews, these games have been awesome. Even the blowouts, man, they've had moments that I've just, you know, found extremely enjoyable. So, um, you know, let's just avoid reviews for the rest of the weekend. Yes, let's do that. I, I'm just excited because I like these. I like to watch these teams that are left. Uh, there aren't matchups that I'm just like, oh, man, I don't want to see that. Like, I just, I, there's a lot of good basketball being played. Yeah. Um, yeah um, on the reviews. A lot of good, honest reviews. basketball out there. Uh, that's going to do it for the show, folks. Thanks to Kyle Mann for dropping in. Make sure you guys go and check his stuff out over at The Ringer and on YouTube, which you make some of the best videos in the business. So thank you for that. Uh, for Mo, I'm Dave DeFore. This has been Nerd She Wrote on the Athletic NBA Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.